Good evening, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. Thank you for joining us this evening. We really appreciate it. My name is Austin, the host here, and with me, I have Bill. Hello. How's life going, Bill? Uh, life's going pretty well. I'm just cruising on by. <laughs> Excellent, me too. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the very first Lupin the Third TV special, Bye Bye Lady Liberty, which is turning 40 years old this year, so uh, well before either of us were born. So the reason, uh, other than the fact that we just love Lupin the Third here on this podcast, uh, unfortunately, one of the major reasons why we are reviewing a Lupin the Third uh, work now is because the creator of Lupin the Third, Monkey Punch, actually passed away about... Uh, two weeks ago from the time of this recording. We're recording this on April 28th of 2019, and he passed away on April the 11th uh, at the age of 81 due to pneumonia, unfortunately. Um, So basically this episode will serve as our tribute to him and uh, just to talk about him a little bit as a creator and uh, talk about Lupin as a franchise that he he created, Um, a franchise that both you and I love very, very much, Bill. Yeah, I was uh, very sad to hear about his passing. Uh, he lived a long life, though. I think he died at uh, in his 80s, uh, mm-hmm. which is pretty long. Uh, we're going to get more into uh, his background, uh, but uh, one thing that I'm, I'm hoping or I'm wishing is now that he's passed and people are remembering him that maybe a publisher such as, uh, I don't know, uh, Seven Seas, who have been doing a lot of vintage 70s uh, re-releases of Going to Guy's work, they could possibly, in the future, uh, release the Lupin the Third manga again in the United States due to yeah. uh, that being out of print for a long time. Yeah, Tokyo Pop printed it like way back in the day. It's been like over ten years ago at this point. So back, some of the volumes are really expensive and really hard to get a hold of. Yeah, back in uh, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. So the Lupin manga has been out of print for quite a while, and um, I think you and I were talking about this before the podcast. But um, Lupin as a manga is very similar to Cutie Honey in a way, where like the initial manga itself is like not the best of its versions but it's still something that i think people can appreciate and uh would get something out of being able to return to the original material and see how the uh subsequent anime has uh, changed over time yeah it's it's very much a timepiece of when it was made because it's it was published during the swinging 60s when sexual freedom and uh the kind of the hipness of the 60s that were popularized by um Hugh Hefner in Playboy magazine started to kind of gain rise and I think uh, Monkey Punch took a big inspiration for Lupin from not just Arsène Lupin the the fictitious character but also just the cultural uh moment that was happening at the time you could have summed all of that up by saying, yeah, it's a little rapey. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one thing that's uh, a bit awkward going back to it. Because uh, yeah. I, I have some of the old Tokyo Pop volumes, and just reading through some of them, it's just like, ooh, this is uncomfortable reading. <laughs> as, yeah, as... kind of like you said, it's very much a product of its time. Uh, so Monkey Punch's real name is Kazuhiko Kato, and he was born in May of 1937 in Hokkaido, Japan. Uh, he began working for the publishing company Futabasha in the early 1960s, writing and drawing four coma comic strips. Uh, in 1965, he was working on a series where his editor told him that he should adopt the pen name Monkey Punch, because of course no parent in their right mind would actually name their child Monkey Punch. That would be ridiculous. Uh, he strangely enough was never really a fan of the name monkey punch uh his editor kind of gave it to him was said you should take this nickname i gave you a sunny boy and he was like okay boss i guess um but it kind of stuck especially once he started writing lupon the third and his name became out there because the manga was pretty popular uh, and he was like well i guess i just got to stick with it now that people know me for this 
Um, so even into his later years, he was never a huge fan of, of, the, of his name. So Lupin III began being published in 1967 in a weekly shonen action for, uh, for a run total of 94 chapters. Uh, Lupin itself was heavily inspired by Monkey Punch's love for Western literature and film. Uh, obviously, the Arsène Lupin uh, thief mystery stories from France were obviously a big inspiration. Um, but also James Bond, Mad Magazine, Tom and Jerry, and classical literature like The Three Musketeers and Agatha Christie mystery novels. Uh, TMS began adapting the manga into a TV series in 1971, lasting for 23 episodes, and then two sequel television series running into the early 1980s. From every year between 1989 and 2013, there was a basically feature film-length uh, television special uh, that would air uh, once a year, every year, and that was basically all of the Lupin that we got for many decades. Um, and today we're going to be talking about Bye Bye Lady Liberty, which is the first one that came out in 1989. Yeah, it's funny, um, when people talk about the specials now, especially um, for people who, like Reed Nelson, who's kind of seen is a, a big Lupin expert, the specials kind of became a family a friendly event where people would uh, as a family watch the yearly Lupin special and it's kind of funny thinking about how that how Lupin the character and the franchise became more family friendly compared to the manga which is definitely uh, more racy and more adult and has mm -hmm. and has more uh, mature subject matter and that is certainly a funny thing to say in the context of specifically this one, because Bye Bye Lady Liberty is, I, I wouldn't call this a family movie, really. It's its a little bit too on the edge, I would say, compared to some of the later ones. I think as time went on, they became more family affairs. Yeah, uh, right. But I think in this early stages of the TV specials, they were still trying to find their footing, because... Um, it was kind of a back to basics uh, of we're going to go back to what Lupin was as seen in the original TV series, uh, not the uh, third series, the aka the Pink Jacket series, which is more uh, uh, wacky and has a, t a ton more fan service uh, in comparison. Where while this has its kind of wacky moments with the plot it's more down to earth than uh pink jacket was and it kind of set the formula for how the tv specials uh would be uh, mm -hmm. which we'll get into as we start as we talk about the movie right and it definitely seems uh interesting that they would um sort of go back to the not the original lupon form but back to like the red jacket tone where things are a little bit sillier um, but not as, like, zany and wacky as stuff in, like, the Pink Jacket series, but, like, a more, a more just, like, generalized absurdity, maybe, and not so much, like, slapstick, goofy Looney Tunes junk. Yeah, because that's, even uh, with Red Jacket and Green Jacket, Lupin has always had some absurd uh, <laughs> plot elements that I, I like to call uh, Lupin- uh, Lupin physics with how he's able to accomplish amazing feats that, that no human being could actually accomplish uh, so that 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 strain has always been there just mm -hmm. to certain levels I would say right definitely so getting into the cast and the production staff here for this uh, for this special so we have Yasuo Yamada as Lupin the uh, third he's the original voice of Lupin the third and he he voiced Lupin in pretty much every iteration of the franchise, with the notable exception of one, um, until his death in... 96. It was... 96, okay. Uh, Thank you. He doesn't really have any other notable voice credits. Um, his, I think because uh, as, as Lupin went on, there was just so much work with commercials and the TV series that that was his primary voice role, and he pretty much voiced the character until... 96, his last uh, movie being Farewell to Nostradamus. And we have Katoshi Kobayashi as Jigen. Uh, he, again, is a longtime voice of Jigen. He is still alive and still voicing Jigen in brand new Lupin the Third things now. 
Uh, he's actually older than Monkey Punch. I think he's like 84 or something like that. Um, so he's still alive and kicking. He's been voicing Jigen and everything pretty much. Uh, but he's also the narrator in Bill's favorite movie, Sword for Truth. Uh, and Woo-hoo! he is a he is Adrian Rubinsky in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, a series I haven't seen. So is that a character that people would recognize? Yeah, he's a major player within the Legend oh. of the Galactic Heroes story. Um, also, a large chess piece. Uh, the the um, one there was a very sweet tweet he sent out where he he was sad about monkey punch's passing and he said i as long as i keep breathing i still i love voicing the character of jigen and i want to keep doing it until i can't do it anymore it was a very it's very kind it's a very yeah. sweet uh tweet we have eiko masuyama as fujiko who is also the original voice of honey and cutie honey we have makio inoue as goemon who is who has played captain harlock in multiple movies and tv series we have Goro Naya as Inspector Zenagata, who is also in Legend of Galactic Heroes, and he is Lord Yupa in Nausicaa, which I think is her dad, or her grandpa, right? Uh, wasn't that... Um, the guy it, with the mustache? Yeah, I, I think you're mm-hmm. right. Patrick Stewart's character in the dub? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he is also Captain Okita in uh, Space Battleship Yamato, which I think is also the guy with the big beard and the mustache. So uh, that makes that makes sense. A, a trend, I um, say. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, we have Mat- uh, Matsumi Tanaka as Michael, who is Krillin in Dragon Ball, and is Monkey D. Luffy in One Piece. So that's really cool. Uh, yeah, she's still going strong, uh, and I was I was amazed uh, with the connection that she is. Uh, she's she is Luffy in One Piece. I was like, that's pretty awesome because in this, I'm used to her hearing her scream all the time. So. <laughs> this, this is a this is an interesting change of pace definitely and then we have yui komazuka as isabel who has drum roll please no other notable roles i'm sure she's done something good with her life she, at least i hope so uh in the mike tool commentary that's on the dvd uh slash blu-ray uh, he talks about how um usually they would get a notable uh, female actress that not that are not known as uh, say you or voice actresses, but notable for other things to be in a loop and special, uh, usually. So this is this do is you, the start of that. Do, do you know off the top of your head what she was actually famous for, other outside of voice acting? No, she wasn't a voice actress. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. You know, I I know, but like, is there anything that else that she was famous for? Like a uh, reason why they brought her on in particular? No, I I couldn't. Uh, I looked on IMDb and um, most of her film credits were stuff that was Japan only. All right, so the director of Bye Bye Lady Liberty is somebody who's come up on this podcast a few times at this point and will undoubtedly be discussed more in the future. Uh, It is the legendary Osamu Dezaki himself. He directed the first four Lupin TV specials and then Lupin TV special number seven. Um... Do you know, could you name off the top of the head, off the top of your head, which ones those are uh, for the people listening at home? Sure. Uh, the first one, of course, is Bye Bye Liberty. Second one is the Hemingway, uh, oh, the the Hemingway Treasure. Third one. I think it's the Hemingway Papers. Yes, thank you. The Hemingway Papers. Third one is Napoleon's Dictionary. And then the fourth one, which I always forget, is the Russia one. Is it from Siberia with Love? Yes, thank you. And then the seventh one, which is the last one he directed, I think is the Hems. I'm probably saying it wrong. The Hems. The Hems. Something Hems Treasure. Hammurabi. Hammurabi. It's definitely not Hamtaro. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I want. I want that crossover. Make it happen. Oh, okay. So it's Lupin the Third, the pursuit of ha- Harimau's treasure. Harimau. Okay. Armel, I see. I was close. <laughs> you were close. Very close. Yeah, the pursuit of Hamtaro's treasure would be quite a crossover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's also very well known for directing the Rose of Versailles, Gogo 13, The Professional, the Blackjack OVAs from the 80s and 90s. He also directed Tomorrow's Joe, and of course, Bill's other favorite anime, Loop, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bill's other favorite anime, Sword for Truth. Oh. Uh, greatest, greatest anime film ever made, second only to M.D. Geist. Exactly. It's, it's, it's my, it's my, uh, fandom, uh, similar to The Room. 
Uh, it's my. It's Bill's troll too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the character designer on this is notable. It's Noburu Furuse, who is a chief animation director on Initial D. He was also the director of New Dominion Tank Police, and he also did animation and character design for the other four original Dazaki specials. Um, I find his character designs to be very similar to the Mystery of Mamo. Um, mm. But I, I was a little bit surprised to learn that he didn't do the character designs for that movie. So, Bill, could you give us the rundown about what Bye Bye Lady Liberty is about, if you couldn't figure it out from the title? <laughs> Uh, I I will try. Uh, <laughs> Lupin and Jigen learn of an egg-shaped diamond that is hidden within the Statue of Liberty. Oh my god! I <gasps> wonder if that's where the name of the special comes from! Probably not. You're right, probably not. <laughs> uh, at the same time, a little boy named Michael has come to Lupin in search of a super virus that could clear computer data worldwide and could pinch could potentially clear all of the ICPO's data on Lupin, allowing him to continue his thievious escapades. Uh, a mysterious woman named Isabel appears, and an organization known as the Three Masons, not the Freemasons. Definitely not. Aka, we didn't want to get sued. Uh, <laughs> are also after the super egg and the computer virus. The super egg and the virus are somehow connected. Can Lupin find the super egg and the computer virus before the three Masons can? Unfortunately, I don't mean to spoil this movie, but the super egg does not come from a super bird, as far as we can tell. Uh, no, unfortunately. Although, I, that would have been an interesting supernatural element they could have put into the movie. <laughs> a giant bird Te diving upon Lupin as he's trying to escape uh, from the Statue of Liberty. They just go into the Freemasons, or the, excuse me, the Three Masons hideout, and they've got this gigantic bird, like they have that gigantic brain in the end of uh, Mystery of Mamo. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's been, any, uh, it's, been anyway. it's been more than 40 years I think people were okay <laughs> <laughs> so um I guess uh Bill do you have any particular history with this specific special because I know you said you've seen it before but um really the only the first time I watched it was a couple months ago whenever I picked up the blu-ray and I really only watched it intently uh for the purpose of, of this podcast so how did you come to uh to know about Lupin TV special one um, well, this is not the first TV special I have watched. Um, I first watched, um, the 90s, I think it's 97, uh, episode zero special, and that got me interested in seeing what the other specials were, and at the same time, Discotech started doing their releases of the Lupin TV specials, and I think this was the, this is their third no, actually, no, their fourth release uh, that they had done up to this point because they had done Fuma Conspiracy, which needs to come back into print. Uh, Agreed. Hint, hint. Uh, Green vs. Red. Uh, Green vs. Red, Episode Zero, and uh, and maybe Mystery of Mamo? I don't remember. But um, So this was their first um, TV special that they had released. Because the other ones were either movies or OVAs, and I wanted to see it because this is this was excluding the manga dub, which was done back in the day, which is now, which had gone out of print. Um, I wanted to see it, and as uh, we'll get more more into this later, I think for the most part it's a solid uh, Lupin TV special. Um, compared to the later ones, which can be kind of middling and forgettable. I would agree, too. I mean, I haven't seen a whole ton of the TV specials. Most of the ones that I've seen are the movies. Um, 
But uh, generally speaking, I walked away from this one feeling pretty satisfied. I think that if you're somebody who really enjoys like the the pulpy, campy Lupin rather than like the whimsical, fun, sort of softer Lupin, I think that you will enjoy the special a lot. Um, it has a lot of callbacks to uh, like 70s movies and just sort of the tone of that time. It seems like very James Bond. Um, and I, I think that this would be a, a fantastic follow-up if you're somebody who's a fan of like the mystery of Mamo. Um, cause Mamo is like very, very weird compared to some other Lupin stuff. And this one is also pretty weird, even though I don't think it's quite as weird as Mamo. It is more, it's like a, a weird mix of Lupin styles. Yeah. And I, I think it's also interesting to, uh, watching this special that it kind of sent the, it set up the template for the specials to a certain degree. Um, if you like, you watch the later specials, there's always a female centric character that is just for the, the special, um, that you see in this one, uh, with, is like Isabel, you see, you see in, uh, in Bye Bye Lady Liberty. Um, and also the classic MacGuffin, which is a common trope of Lupin. Uh, one thing that I like about the special that I w- the later ones don't do as often is this is it's actually um, pretty wide in its locations because it goes from uh, New York City to the Grand Canyon to the New Orleans to uh, Paris, France. Very much an American-based adventure, but I like that they they're not just stuck in. Um, one particular city or location no they go to like new york and like uh new orleans and they go to arizona at one point <laughs> and there's like a weird like saloon scene uh they they're just jumping all over the place in this movie and it's it's pretty fun because of it um i do like that there's a there's a couple of moments where like you'll see like a uh a scene transition where they use like an airplane or an establishing shot of like a hotel or something Mm -hmm. and then like they'll be in a hotel room and one of the characters will be like why are we in new orleans or they'll be like why are we in arizona and then they will have the exposition of why they're there (laughs) and i just think that's a it's a very funny like on the nose way to uh sort of get them to the next place without really explaining it but also Mm -hmm. explaining it enough to where the audience is like oh, okay it makes sense why we're here but i was also thinking like lupon continues to bring up his massive amounts of debt throughout the film and then we also see them like taking multiple plane trips and staying in hotels and stuff like that and i'm just like man probably most of lupon's debt is just airfare and and uh hotel expenses like because <laughs> <laughs> they're going all over the place well, and it's also funny to hear him complain about money issues because usually they don't get the MacGuffin that they're after, and they're like, "Oh well, we tried." Uh, <laughs> so it's it's fu- yeah. it's funny to hear him like play like, "Oh no, this debt." But to be quite honest, the the idea of like I'm in debt, I'm uh, uh, I'm three hundred million dollars in debt. That's just an excuse for him to go after the super egg, or one of the oh excuses. yeah definitely. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it is funny because. Um, on on uh, on initial um, on my initial glance at the title of this movie and the uh, the uh, beautiful uh, cover art for it, mm-hmm. um, I was thinking, well, this is just going to be a movie about Lupin's elaborate attempt to steal the Statue of Liberty, and that in of itself will be the treasure. Definitely not the case for this film. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the, f- the funny <laughs> thing is like. The Statue of Liberty is in the movie, but it's not in that movie for that long. Like, maybe in the initial, uh, 30 minutes of the movie? But, like... Yeah, and and then they hide it in the Grand Canyon through the dumbest, like, Lupin way possible, which I find hilarious. Um, and then, like, at the end of the movie, well towards about the middle of the movie Lupin and friends they don't even really care about the Statue of Liberty being stolen at that point and then you just see it being returned by like the American army or whatever towards the end it's like oh yeah they did steal the Statue of Liberty didn't they there, there's some like great, you kind of almost forgot about it there, there's some great Lupin uh Lupin physics in this movie such as as you mentioned they hide the the Statue of Liberty within the Grand Canyon by which seems like rolls of paper towels it looks like yeah 
which is amazing that, that, that somehow works. Or when the three Masons find them in the Grand Canyon and they have a bunch of um, SUVs. They're like, okay, how are how is the Freemasons going to get into the Grand Canyon to go after Lupin? We're just going to drive into the Grand Canyon, no problem, and just we will have parachutes that will automatically open up and allow the SUVs to land in the Grand Canyon safely. <laughs> and speaking of parachutes, like, Jigen and Lupin just happen to be equipped with, you know, very competent jetpacks in any moment that they need them. <laughs> They're like multiple jetpack scenes. I'm just like, oh, okay. So they have jetpacks now. Uh, I, I say this multiple times uh, when talking about Lupin. If you're a person of logic, you would probably not like Lupin. You just need to... That is so true. You need to suspend disbelief, enjoy the fun stupidity, um, and have have fun. Uh, because uh, with all Lupin things, there's Lupin physics that happen that just are impossible or plot things of that kind of make sense, kind of don't, but it works out. Um, like another Lupin uh, physics thing that I love is when he when they steal the Statue of Liberty, um, they're floating up into the sky, and Fujiko, in a super fast Learjet that she is flying with the main bad guy, because of course Fujiko is always trying to. Um, smooge with the bad guys uh she sees uh she and the main bad guy uh see lupin in the statue of liberty as they're going at how many i don't know how many miles per hour where she's able to clearly (laughs) see the statue of liberty no problem and lupin and jigen no problem just flying up and away yep (laughs) <laughs> it's a great moment it really is um we'll t- we always talk about this at the end but that might be my most iconic moment of this one um uh, but we'll we'll get to that here at the uh, end um it, it's pretty great yep so i think one thing that sets this movie apart um and sets all of the dazaki specials apart from the other lupon stuff is just their overwhelming sense of style um like dazaki has such an incredible way uh, he has a, he has a very very deep bag of tricks a uh, bag of tricks that have uh, influenced the visual style of anime uh, forever, uh, that continue to influence the way the anime looks and is made today. Um, he uses uh, things called uh, harmony, or um, some people also call them postcard memories, uh, which we've talked about on this podcast before. But if you're not familiar, it's like whenever you will watch a scene go by and they try and accentuate a specific moment or like a specific action by like freezing the frame and using a very highly detailed, heavily inked, heavily, like, painted-looking uh, shot uh, to accentuate, like, that, the intensity of that specific moment, and everything will slow down, you will just see this freeze frame for a couple of seconds. Um, that is a signature Dazaki thing. Also, like, the way that he uses lighting, the way that he uses uh, lighting to frame certain people in the shot the way that he uses lighting to accentuate uh, the environment, like either sunlight or water or things like that. All these things are very iconic um, stuff that he pioneered. Mm. Um, it's it's always either, uh, if you're watching something that uses this sort of stuff, it's like, yes, this is f- that's from the Dazaki bag of tricks, and he directed it, or that's from the Dazaki bag of tricks, and someone else learned from Dazaki. So this is something that appears in anime over and over, and has for decades. I, I especially the uh, the harmony shot, where of just doing a kind of a watercolor looking still of a frame, where I love that because one, it looks cool, but it's also for a production. It's able to save you on money because you're not having to animate. Um, actions and they usually use the harmony shot during action scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, which makes sense. I also want to talk about the lighting because, especially within this special, you can see multiple examples of the lighting, such as when Fujiko is on the yacht with the bad guy, the shimmering blue water. Um, yes, that, that they use throughout, or whenever you see a shot of a villain what they'll do is they'll have a diagonal spotlight on the villain where there'll be like one uh, one shine of light, but then the corners 
will be all covered in darkness to sensuate the villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also just the, um, he also used um, depth of field tricks to create um, more um, illusions of a bigger view of, like, let's say a cityscape. Like, you especially see this when uh, they're in New York City and when they are in Paris, um, where you just see, like, a scrolling of <laughs> of the city going by, which um, lo- which creates a... Uh, tricks our eyes into thinking that we're actually seeing more than what we're actually seeing. Mm-hmm. And another great stylish thing that he does um, is very similar to the water effect. Whenever he does like nighttime cityscape, like skyline or uh, aerial shots, uh, he will do a similar lighting trick. But instead of just like bright white light, it's like multicolored light to simulate like street lights and cars and all that sort of stuff, and make it like flicker and blink. Um, it really adds this like very believable um, lighting effects to these uh, city scenes that makes them uh, a, a lot more believable and a lot more stylish and uh, evokes a stronger feeling of like you're you're looking at a city like it may be animated but it, it is acting like a city would in that sense yeah and uh, funny enough Dazaki always dismissed these techniques as it's like oh no these were just cheap tricks I was doing them because <laughs> of budget reasons but it, he should have really taken credit for just the imagination it took to figure out to uh, to come up with these budgeted methods but still create uh, uh, visuals that were appealing um, it's <laughs> at least he was trying uh, to create um, still still maintain a quality with these tricks whereas I, I I would rather prefer people use these techniques than just let's say just stills of action or not seeing lips move uh, stuff like mm-hmm. that and I think that's what makes the uh, makes really anything by Dazaki but specifically Dazaki Lupin just hold up so incredibly well it's like yeah overall speaking and you you'd probably agree with me Bill that like bye bye Lady Liberty is not like it's not one of the best Lupin things ever, but just because of Dazaki's style and all the different like techniques that he uses and all the wonderful uh, cuts and shots and just the way that the movie flows along, it makes it a really fun experience. Yeah. Even though this, even though the character, there's not really very many good character moments. There's like there's some pretty good gags, but really the star of this film is watching. Is just watching the way that the mo- the movie was made. Yeah, um, one of the brief shots he does, he doesn't do it. He rarely does it in this special. He does it more in others. But uh, is I love the split screen that he does with um, Fuchika, where um, the villain goes to goes to leave to go talk to the head of the three masons, and Fuchiko sneaks across the boat to look at a porthole to hear what he's saying. And then she's able to sneak back, um, no problem. And as he's coming back to be with her, they have a split screen of her face of like "I tricked you," and his face of "I'm I'm hiding something." And that's just a fun kind of a character moment of showing off their um, motives and personalities without. Um, uh, without any dialogue and like i was saying with the lighting effects um how while they were used to um, reduce the budget somewhat um they were able to uh accentuate the villain of like by this lighting we know that this person is evil when they're plotting something dark or that they this character represents either beauty or is a good character with the kind of the bright spotlights that were that are usually in the corners like you see that with isabel a lot throughout the movie what do you think of um the plot overall uh, in general um i mean i kind of echo what i said just a moment ago it's like the plot is it's fine i guess like the the story arc between like uh with with michael and like the story arc with isabel is like it's fine it's not like the most boring uh lupin the third like one-off character story drama that I've seen. There are definitely some really bad examples of that, of where the uh, 
the characters and the storyline that they come up with specifically for a TV special or a movie are just, like, really boring and uninteresting. But uh, I find, like, the, the twists and the drama with with those two characters to be like uh to be you know pretty fun it's not the greatest thing in the world but they're they're fun to watch on screen it's especially neat to see like instead of like a young girl or someone else it's like a little boy who is tramp like trouncing around with lupin and jigen and goemon um and that that was pretty fun to see their dynamic there was some there were some pretty fun pretty funny moments between this like kid who's like way too smart for his own good and like lupon and jigen who are just kind of like whatever kids sort of sort of old men i i thought um for as for characterizations i thought they're they're a bit more fleshed out than other um tv special heroines and characters um the script wise they're they're able to explain uh these computer concepts close to being on point there's a couple of disbelief things like him able to him being able to plug in a famicom controller and play the (laughs) shooting game on his computer which is kind of funny um but Mm. for the most part they're able to explain the concepts of um the of um computer code pretty simplistically but it's close to being right and also i like isabel because she's actually a pretty tough cookie in that she's not just a damsel in distress she's able she's kind of similar to fujiko in that she will use her beauty to um trick people and to get her way um Mm -hmm. like there's this one scene where um she is back with the three masons who um, she's against and she basically tricks the kind of decrepit old man who's who, who leads the three masons emperor palpatine yeah he's basically emperor palpatine or similar to mamo actually um a little bit a little bit <laughs> but <laughs> where she basically says like i'm don't you want to be with me uh, look at it where he she gets completely naked and says let uh, please let me uh join you and is able to um pretty able to fool him into saying okay where uh her the villain who is working with her at the time is able to uh, assassinate him, um, which is pretty clever on their part, or mm-hmm. how she's able to get Lupin and Goemon, especially because she has a relationship with Goemon, um, to basically help her on her uh, quest to uh, dealing with the super egg and the computer virus in the beginning. Mm hmm. And I will say I'm really appreciative of this film from avoiding the very tired trope of, like, Fujiko and the other one-off woman, like, competing over Lupin's affection because they're both, like, jealous or whatever. Like, that doesn't happen in this movie, and that happens somewhat frequently in Lupin things overall. And I'm glad that they decided not to do that this time because it's it's something I'm a little bit like, all right, can we not do this this time? One common thing that I like to do with for Lupin specials is there's usually what I like to call the least valuable player uh, within the Lupin gang because usually I the TV specials can only or am only able to focus on Lupin and usually one other member of the Lupin gang, um, whereas others get kind of left out or they don't really have a role within the special itself. And I think, for me, the least valuable player is, is Fujiko, because at first she she's with the bad guy and is tr- basically on her own quest to steal a bunch of diamonds from him, and she be- basically becomes possessed by this, this mystical power uh, from the Three Masons to 
steal the diamond egg back, and I'm not a big fan of that, because I like Fujiko more in the, I'm using my feminine wiles to get what I want, and, and the supernatural elements, to me, can be a miss. I've, it depends on the special, but for this, I was not a big fan of it. Um, and she doesn't really get a lot to do where at one point after her possession is done, they basically say, you babysit the little kid. And she, she just says, okay. And doesn't really contribute to the, the finale, unfortunately. Um, I would say generally you're right, but I also think that you're wrong because for me, <laughs> my least, va- my, my least valuable right player is wrong. G. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My least valuable player, my least valuable player is Jigen. Because with the exception of the very brief arc in the very beginning where Jigen is, like, talking to his, like, his pal Rooster in New York City and, like, learning about the, uh, about where he hid the diamond inside the Statue of Liberty, like, Jigen doesn't really do very much in the story. He basically just plays tag along to Lupin, and I know that's kind of his deal anyway, but... Like, there were never any moments where, like, Jigen was actively participating in the narrative. He was just kind of tagging along. Whereas Fujiko was sort of doing, like, there's, I, I, I will definitely agree with you that towards, like, the end of the film, her role in the film sort of, like, tapers off. But she's pretty active in doing a lot of stuff that affects the story in, in the majority of the film up until the ending. Hmm. I, I guess for me, it's just that's always been Jigen's role as the tagalong uh, slash um, co co partner with with Lupin. Where there's certain stories that he does get the spot, like Voyage to, da- Voyage to Danger. Um, he he has a role to play with in the storyline, but um, I guess I'm just so used to him being the tagalong that I didn't even notice it. But you're right, he doesn't really pay uh do uh he doesn't really have any agency within the story once uh he kind of sets up the 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 diamond egg uh and the whole thing with his uh partner in new york city mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who his partner for a brief moment i thought really looked like stan lee with a much bigger nose <laughs> and he kind of had those that same style glasses hmm like 70s Stanley. Yeah, I mean, he did have like the bad 70s coat going on. He did. <laughs> with the with the with the plaid and the and the stripes to it. Although he kind of gets <laughs> the short shrift of like he gets killed and Jigen's like Rooster, no. But when I have no we have no attachment to this character whatsoever cuz he's barely introduced. We just know he was Jigen's friend who they met at one point, and then he was the one that hid the diamond in the Statue of Liberty, and then that's about it. <laughs> uh, pr- pretty much. And that's, like, what, that's, that's his own, that's his only, uh, role within the special, just, you set it up, now you're dead. Again, still not the worst side character in Lupin, still not. Mm. Well, I will be interested to hear who your worst side character is. They're all in dead or alive. Sorry, Monkey Punch. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, that is the only that is the only Lupin anime thing he directed, and it's really bad. Uh, I think that movie is mediocre to okay. Napoleon's Dictionary is way worse in terms. Now, I'm really I'm really excited to see that one because I have heard that that one is not very good, but it's also directed by Dazaki, so I'm just like, where did he go wrong? I'm I'm very curious. Well, I don't blame him for it. I just I think that was that was pretty much a script issue. Where I think that's uh, the thing. It, it really depends on the script. Uh this is true. So, uh and I also want to mention uh Zenigata where he he Depending on the special, Zenigata is either the comedic foil or he's the serious gruff detective that has a role to play within the story. Here, he's more of the comedic foil that people were used to. And I think mm-hmm. he does have some great moments, especially when they're in the Grand Canyon with the uh, taxi driver, where it's there's a hilarious scene where he's, he gets a taxi driver to drive him 
from New York City to the Grand Canyon, which is um, which is amazing <laughs> to think about. And they show the bill, and it's only like three thousand dollars, which is pretty <laughs> wow. pretty fair if thinking about taxis. And the guy is like, "Wait, you want to drive? You want to go to the Grand Canyon?" It's like as they're in the midst of the desert, and he's like, "I need to go back." I need to get home. And he thinks he's going to get home in like 48 hours. And I'm like, no, you're not, dude. That's, that's not that's not possible. <laughs> and the taxi driver had like a very specific reason why he had to go. He said literally something along the lines of, uh, the ex-wife is bringing my kids over tomorrow. I have to get home. And I'm just like, wow, they just gave a lot of background to this character that's only in one scene. I, I also like that, that he gets annoyed at first. But then once his, ta- once his cab gets bounced around he's like so i'm going after these jerks <laughs> where he gets he gets really into the chase uh, uh just all the stuff with the taxi is really fun especially because uh, i noticed the 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 special really loves um designing cars which i think is funny because the character designer worked on it was the chief animation director on initial d uh funny enough uh where you see a great shot of the taxi spinning in the midst of the air from the perspective of the back window of a car Fujiko is sitting in, which I think is a, which is a really, uh, fun shot. And, uh, just, uh, Zenigata is just, um, really fun, uh, throughout the movie. But like in the beginning when he's in Paris, he's like, no, I'm from, (laughs) you got the city wrong. Uh, and they give chase, and he's able to call Apache helicopters in the middle of Paris. Just immediately. Just immediately, out of the blue. Or how a, a common trait throughout the movie is, because he's the working man, uh, the Japanese working man, he constantly asks for receipts for everything. Send me the receipt. <laughs> Please give me the receipt. Uh He's got to make sure that uh, Interpol can file their taxes properly. Uh, and that he doesn't have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, that uh, he's driving to from New York City to, uh, or what was it, uh, New York to Arizona on Interpol's tab. So what does he matter if it's $3,000? Yeah, uh, where even after the taxi is destroyed, he's like, send me the receipt. I love the I love the dual scenes with Michael where he he's got the same scene with Lupin and then the same scene with Zenigata. He like the first the first time he meets Lupin, he's like, "Ah, Lupin the 3rd, the infamous thief who has been uh you've committed over 3000 crimes with a like 98 point whatever success rate and uh spouts off all these other stats to him and then he meets Zenigata for the first time and he's like, "Ah, the famous inspector Zenigata, you have failed to catch Lupin the 3rd x amount of times and like you make 28.9% less than your colleagues because you're not as good as your jo- at your job as they are. <laughs> it's just a really funny exchange. 738 was the amount of times he's failed to capture Lupin. You would think after a while, um, they would say, you just have not succeeded, so we're going to replace you with someone else. Which, uh... We're going to force you to retire, and like they do in uh, Crisis in Tokyo, Crisis- kinda. Yes, uh, kinda. But I... I that's one. This isn't about more about the special, but one thing that I love is Zenigata and Lupin's relationship. Of uh, they, they kind of they love the chase with each other, um, <laughs> where Lupin likes Zenigata because one, he can easily manipulate Zenigata really well, and two, because I think he admires. I think he secretly admires Zenigata for his hard work ethic. Uh, You're probably right. Uh, and also Zenigata just loves the chase. That's his, that's his ultimate dream. Uh, especially in Fuma Conspiracy, which we did an episode on. There's a there's a great scene where he's like, after realizing Lupin is not dead, of just this pure look of joy of just, oh my god. So, uh, I I love their relationship, and I think um, in every special they they pretty much nail it down.
I think it's, for the most part, it's a pretty solid special. I would recommend it. Um, it, it has the goofy things you would expect from Lupin, but it's a fun, it's a fun story. Um, and it, it kind of sets the, the template for the specials in a way of just having the one special female character that's centric to the TV special going after a certain MacGuffin, um, being in exotic locations, um, and usually having one of the Lupin gang being a central part of the story. So it's a good um, kind of setup and kind of sets up the expectations of the TV specials. And I, I would just uh, echo what I said earlier in the episode to say, if you've already seen The Mystery of Mamo, I think this one is a really good follow-up. If you really liked The Mystery of Mamo, this one feels very much in that similar vein. Um, but for you, Bill, I'll provide an additional question. Um, so if someone has already seen Bye Bye Lady Liberty, which special do you think they should watch next? Uh, hmm. I'm trying to think of the ones that are in print at the moment. Um, I think, while it's, it's slightly not as good as this one, I think Hemingway Papers is actually pretty solid. Uh, Alright, cool. Which I thoroughly enjoy, and, um, it has a, kind of a unique, uh, it's also very American-centric because you're dealing with the writer Ernest Hemingway, um, and this, the, the, um, it's a fun storyline of, Jigen and Goemon are working for two rival factions on the island, and uh, they're they're kind of having to fight with one another, which is kind of always fun. Uh, I would also recommend uh, if you can find it; it's out of print right now, but um, I bet it'll be put back in print. Is Crisis in Tokyo, which Funimation released a long time ago. That I think that is also a very fun upbeat special. And as our final question before we wrap up this episode, for you, Bill, what is the most iconic moment of Lupin the Third? Bye bye, Lady Liberty. Uh, I think I have to say my favorite scene is when they're able to get a basically a giant balloon to float the Statue of Liberty off its base. Which that balloon has to be pretty strong to do that. Uh, and they're floating up into the sky, and Fujiko and the villain are able to go, Lupin, on the Statue of Liberty, and Lupin says, Hi, Fujiko! I love you, baby! <laughs> uh, that's that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. For me, I think, just because I've seen this scene probably more than any other scene, the scene that I will always think of will be uh, Lupin on his, like, uh, umbrella helicopter thing running away from the Apache helicopters in Paris at the very, very <laughs> beginning while it's raining. Uh, it's just a really fun moment, and it's like playing the Lupin the Third theme by Yuji Ono, which is iconic and amazing. Oh, there's also a scene where Lupin whistles his own theme song, which I think is amazing. I, I love that. Uh, yeah, I love that too. <laughs> Uh, um, also, just one other thing that I find is really funny. Like, you know how whenever they call, like, the, the nuclear detonation device, like, in a briefcase, they call that the football? Mm -hmm. Like, they literally had the uh, super egg inside of a literal football inside of a book of, of a briefcase. And I thought that was like, ah, that's a funny joke right I, there. I, I thought of something else funny. Is that towards the end when they're trying to stop this massive computer virus from spreading... Lupin has to have Michael help him where he's Michael's on Lupin's shoulders and he's like no go this way go that way on this massive computer panel <laughs> uh, smashing buttons left and right which is really a fun scene to, to look at it's totally how computers work right exactly Bill Gates yep. learned how to program computers from Bye Bye Liberty absolutely <laughs> well Bill thank you so much for joining me for this episode it's always a pleasure to talk about Lupin the Third uh, Lupin the Third is my favorite franchise. I I will never turn down talking about Lupin the Third, and and just so everyone knows, you can pick up um, Bye Bye Lady Liberty. It is in print, released by you, you and mine's favorite company, Discotech Media. Uh, they have Bye Bye Lady Liberty available on DVD and SD Blu-ray. 
Mm-hmm. No, it's a it's a full HD transfer. It's oh. it's a real Blu-ray. Yeah. I, I thought mm-hmm. it was SD. Well, I did not know that. No. Yes, it is real 1080p. Um, and if you want to hear more people that are smarter than us talk about this exact movie, uh, it's got a wonderful commentary commentary from Anime News Network's Mike Tool on there. Um, it's also got uh, extensive liner notes talking a lot about the uh, interesting trivia related to the manga UK dubcast which I've read through and it's pretty funny. Uh, I think that was done by uh, Reed Nelson from uh, LupinTheThird.com. A wonderful resource if you guys are looking to get more into the weeds of Lupin stuff. Um, but yeah, I would totally recommend getting that Blu-ray. I own it myself, and uh, I will be getting a lot of mileage out of it. So it's it's really cool. Um, yeah. And uh, I hate I hate that uh, the inspiration for this episode was um, because of Monkey Punch's passing. But uh, again, I just want to reiterate that uh, how thankful we are for the work that Monkey Punch did for so many decades on making a uh, a franchise that both you and you and I. Uh, eh, that both Bill and I are uh, really, really fond of and love very, very much, and uh, same can be said for for many people. So, uh, yeah, it's just uh, thank you, Monkey Punch. Thank you for your life and for your work. I, and I hope you rest in peace. I hope he's in a better place, and I really hope that since Discotech has been really good about releasing the uh, Lupin movies and specials and the tv series i would love if a manga publisher would finally get his work back in print um even though they're very um as as you put it rapey and very much of their time i think from a historical perspective and as a completist uh, when it comes to Lupin, <laughs> i would love to get them in a uh, giant omnibus size collection similar to uh the Kitty Honey and Captain Harlock releases. Yep, I agree. Um, that would be a nice thing to have. Oh, and I should also mention, if you want more uh, Lupin Talk, uh, I would go go back through our backlog. We have done episodes on the Fuma Conspiracy, which is a really good o- uh, OVA. We've done uh, one on Mystery of Mamo, which uh, has a strong connection with this one uh, stylistically and tonally. And uh, also check out our Castle Cagliostro episode that we did with uh, Daryl Surratt from Anime World Order. Yes, definitely. You can find those on pretty much any podcasting service you're on. Just take whatever service you're using to listen to us right now and go back a couple months and go listen to those if you haven't already. And if you have, thank you. All right, Bill, uh, where can people talk to you more about Lupin the Third on the internet? Uh, you can find me at WB Foreman, F-O-R-E-M-A-N 999 on Twitter, where I will be mostly retweeting about Lupin or my addiction to Hearthstone uh, or just random um, uh, anime and uh, movie news, usually. And you can keep up with me and my ridiculous Mrs. Doubtfire collection over on Twitter at Bebop Shock. That's Bebop is in Cowboy Bebop and Shock is in Bioshock. And uh, yeah, give me a follow. We can talk about anime or whatever. I'm always down to talk about Mrs. Doubtfire. She's now my favorite Disney princess. Um, yeah. <laughs> Again, thank you for joining us, Bill. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And we will see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.